This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com slash writing excuses. Season 13, Episode 21. This is Writing Excuses, Q&A on character depth and motivation. Fifteen minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Valen. I'm Dan. I'm Howard. And you have questions for us, starting with Eliza. She says, how do you write a deep and compelling character that you personally dislike and still treat them fairly as an author? Now, we covered unlikable characters, but I think this is an interesting take on it. How do you treat someone fairly when you, as a writer, don't like them? <laughs> I, I, you know, this has gotten easier as I've gotten older because there are so very, so very, very many people I've met that I don't like um, <laughs> who I need to associate with professionally anyway and who I have grown to realize that other people like. My and ears those, are burning. And those, and those other people have valid sorts of opinions and, you know, that kind of, I know this sounds a little high-minded, but but when you adopt that attitude, you look at a character, you think, oh, wow, I hate this person. Well, certainly somebody likes them, and then it gets easier. All right, we'll move on. What do you think is the best, most useful way to discuss characters' underlying motivations without overtly talking about them in narrative? This is from Michael. I think a lot of times that can come from the way they react to different things. Their mm-hmm. reactions tell you quite a bit about who they are. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, one of the books that I wrote last year uh, had a character who, uh, and I talked about this in a previous episode, she is not a nice person. And there, I gave her one specific quirk that uh, anytime she felt like she needed to, to expose herself, to make herself vulnerable in some way, there was always a very specific reason that she chose not to do that. Um, and eventually that turns out to be fully tied into her motivations and, you know, something that's happened to her in the past. And But, you know, just carefully and subtly seeding that into the way she interacts with everybody else. The There's a psychological description here uh, where, you know, the one person says... Um, you know, I'm thirsty, and the other person says, "All right, well, you know, we'll 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 get something to drink on the way home." Uh, contextually, the person has said, "I'm thirsty," as they are driving past a you know root beer float store. Their they actual motivation is, "I want to go get a root beer float," um, but they didn't say that overtly. We do this all the time. There's a thing that you want, and you will say a thing that aims at it, but isn't it. And obviously this can be done in ways that's, you know, passive-aggressive and gross and angry and whatever. Um, But we also do it unconsciously all the time. And so uh, look at your life, look at the lives of the people around you, look at the way people talk and ask yourself, what are the motivations that they have that are underpinning the things that they are doing? And that will help you write these things. Liz asks, how well should characters understand their own motivations? I think you need to be really realistic because I think there are very few people who are so self-aware that they understand 
the reasons behind everything they do. I think as the author, it's okay to know, but I, I just think it's really unrealistic to portray someone as knowing everything. Well, and I think that depends on who the character is and which specific motivation, you know? Uh, one thing that I am always very, very clear with in my own head about myself is I know why I do the jobs that I do. You know, I know what is driving me to do that because I am very aware of if that stops being worth it, I'm going to stop doing this thing right now. Uh, but there are other things I do in my life that, yeah, I probably, I've never had that, uh, maybe never had cause or never had the the self-actualization to sit down and say, now why do I do this thing? And so different different motivations manifest in different ways for different people. All right. Uh Katie asks, how do we make a non-violent main character violent main character or characters interesting? It's impossible. Violence is the only interesting thing. That's what that's what I was going to say. Yeah. Howard? Um, well, you know, technically <laughs> technically poison isn't violent. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. That's okay. Should, should we get, okay, those were a series of you series can you of, could pass if you want. No, no, it's it. When you say, how do you make a nonviolent main character interesting? You are defining interesting as violent action. Okay? If that is your definition of interesting, well, uh, that's, a, that's a high bar to clear. What is interesting besides violent action is, you know, have you watched um, uh, Beautiful Minds? Um, you know, the, the exploration of game math in there, the mathematics, I found that incredibly interesting, and there was no violence at all. I think this is a, a question, Katie. Go back and look where we've talked about conflict. Uh, conflict is interesting, but go listen to the, uh, the entire season uh, where we talk about the elemental genres, because a lot of those are not violence-oriented, and we talk about how to create yeah. conflict and interesting stories around those. Um, I, well, and yeah. I would also add that if you look at the people that surround you and you find interesting, I'm going to go out on a ledge and, and try and say, I, I bet most of them are not violent or you probably wouldn't be friends with them. So maybe look at the people around you and just what you find interesting about them. Kate asks, can there be too much depth to a character? Depending on their role in the story, probably. Um, and this, this can be a case where we, you know, the question we get all the time is what do I do if my side characters are more interesting than the main ones? Maybe you've just made them too interesting and need to dial that back. Can there be too many adverbs in a book? Can there be too many? Yeah, that's, that's really subjective. If the story works and the character is super incredibly deep, uh, that's awesome. Um, if it doesn't work, then... <laughs> Sean has an interesting question kind of along these lines that I'm going to rephrase a little bit. Um, he's implying, and it's a good kind of implication, that depth and roundedness can sometimes be intentioned to one another. That if you go deep into one attribute of a character, you can actually make them less round by focusing too much on one attribute about them. Um, he asks, do you, how do you balance this? And what is your preference, to pick a few attributes and go deep or to try to touch on a little bit about, uh, about everything in a character's life? My uh, form and analysis teacher in, 
when I was studying music, um, said, you know, you've got the budget to drill 1,000 feet worth of holes. Do we want to drill one 1,000-foot hole, two 500-foot holes, or 1,000 one-foot holes in this piece of music, you know, as we, as we study, or, you know, in, in music in general? And uh, <laughs> what we came up with was, well, we need to drill at least one 500-foot hole and probably a couple of hundred foot holes. And, and what's the budget for now 10 foot holes and one foot holes? Cause we want to look at a bunch of other things. And if you look at it in that, in those terms, how many words do you have? You have a thousand words worth of drilling into this character, 500 of them on depth and the other 500 spread across other things. Yeah. And I, th- I think it's important to remember that there's a difference between revealing an aspect of character and exploring an aspect of character. You can point it out without having to spend a lot of yeah. time on it. I also think it it depends on how important that is to the story. Because if it is something that is very important to the story, then you can make I think you can make it make it work. Mm-hmm. All right, let's do our book of the week. Pitch Dark. Okay, so Pitch Dark is a sci-fi book written by Courtney Alameda. She um it it's released in February. It's basically kind of uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark in space with like combination of aliens and Raiders of the Lost Ark. So how can you not like something like that? I want to read like that, that one too. Right, of course. Um, so it's set in the future. One of the things that I really like about this is that they're searching for things among deadly aliens who who kill um, so there, it's part terrifying, part just wondering what would happen in the future if if our future was something similar to this. The thing that I think that Courtney does really well is reflecting different cultures and uh, just providing insight to how that then makes people think differently. It how it makes them, why they do certain actions, how it defines who they are. And um, I think that she is just a pro at doing something like that. There are two protagonists. There's a male and female. And so the it kind of goes back and forth between the two perspectives. But they are two people who did not plan on working together and end up needing to work together in order to battle the aliens. We've had Courtney on the podcast once, twice, at least once. I've been on panels with her before. She's a lot of fun. She is. All right, back to the questions. I'm going to tell Sheldon uh, your question about untrustworthy narrators. We're going to hit that later in the season, so we will get you um, a podcast on that. Tiffany asks, how can you make a character's motivation seem not shallow when most motivations are shallow. <laughs> Unpack that one, guys. <laughs> We're learning so much about the people asking us questions. Learning so much about our fans. Um, I don't know. I think that there are a lot of motivations that are very shallow. I don't know if I'd say most in the entire world, but... It depends on your definition of shallow. De- yeah, it depends on your, de- and yeah. your definition of motivation. Like, um, loving your family is simple, but not shallow, I would say, mm-hmm. right? Like there's there's a difference between that. If you're saying shallow, like the love of money is a shallow thing, 
perhaps that's your definition of shallow. And there is a lot of motivation that centers around that. Well, yeah. and let's, when, when you say, uh, you know, most people's motivations are shallow, um, fundamentally, uh, most people don't understand their core motivations. Uh, you know, I'm hungry is, well, my core motivation is I need food. Well, the truth of the matter may be, I'm sad, I want comfort food. Okay, and the underpinning there is uh, a bad thing has happened, and I suffer from clinical depression, and I just ate, and I'm feeling guilty about being hungry, but I am convincing myself that I am hungry, and all anybody else gets from me is I'm hungry, and I am completely unaware of all of that. All I know is. I'm hungry. So when you say people's motivations are shallow, yeah, that was totally shallow because I can't see the deep bits. I agree. And I think a lot of, uh, for me, when I think of shallow, I think of the motivations maybe behind the way people look and wanting to be thinner or wanting to be more beautiful. And that may seem shallow. What we value um, you know, maybe material, but like you said, Howard, going behind the motivations of why, why do we value that? For example, if I am insecure about the way I look, which is about every girl I've ever known at any stage, why? What are the things that have been said to us? What are the things that are part of society or the culture or media that have aided in that feeling of feeling insecure? So I think that Shallow is, it really does depend on the motivations behind it. And so when it comes back to our writing, you know, how do you give deep motivation when motivations are shallow? Uh, You do exactly the thing that we're describing. You take something fairly shallow, and then you explore for just a moment a deeper underpinning and let the reader see, oh, there's something more here. And then you can move on, and the reader will understand that it's, deeper than just, I'm hungry, or I want new lipstick. Uh, Juno, we will do a podcast on character bias and our own biases as writers later on, so look forward to that. A lot of questions about what we call so-called dossiers, meaning the questions you ask yourself about a character before you start writing. Uh, We covered this a little bit in an earlier podcast, but let me just make it explicit. Do you guys have certain questions about characters you have to answer for yourself before you can start writing about that character? No, I don't. I don't either. I I do not either. I just go. And then later, later when I am trying to figure out why this character is important, that's when I'm kind of getting stuck. That's when I take the time Mm. to figure out things out. I I reached a point with a couple of characters where I realized, oh, you guys both fought in the same war and you fought on different sides. I now need to build a dossier that explores where you were and when you were because your reactions to each other in the story thus far suggest that you've never met. Okay. Uh, How do I canonically build this so that it works? Uh, that's the point at which I end up writing a dossier. Mm-hmm. When I'm writing a character, I am much more concerned with voice. How are they going to sound? Uh, what kinds of things are they going to say and how are they going to say it? 
And that will suggest to me backstory that I can fill in later. All right. Stephanie asks, is it possible to have a story without a villain? Is the world ready for that? Yes. Yes. Yep. Um, and, and examples exist. Can you find some examples? Well, I mean, the, the classic example that breaks, like, every rule is There Will Come Soft Rains by Ray Bradbury, right? That right. doesn't have no characters. characters at all. Yep. And so it's, it's easy to point out. Um, I would th- I would say that um, oh. any man versus nature story qualifies yeah. because nature isn't a villain. Nature doesn't care. Mm-hmm. So we need to survive this earthquake, tornado, tidal wave, whatever. That kind of thing can happen. Um, I don't think, and I'm sure someone will come up with a counterexample, I don't think it's possible to tell a compelling story without a conflict in it. But that conflict does not have to have to be created by a villain. Um, uh, we're getting a lot of questions about story arcs and character arcs, which we will cover in the next few months. Um, we're also getting a lot of questions about character voice, which we've done a few podcasts on, but not with this team. So I'm going to end by pitching you a couple of these. Eric asks, how do you know if a character voice works and how do you make it work? Um, and Amanda asks... How much effort do you put into differentiating character voices? Do you have a different vocabulary sheet for different people? Let's answer the second question with yes. Okay. You there do have words, a- There are words that I mm-hmm. know that some of my characters will not say and words that I know that they will always say. Um, the example that I usually bring up is awesome, excellent, outstanding. Uh, I have characters who will always say outstanding in response. I have characters who would never say that and who would instead, instead say awesome. And it has, it has more to do with, you know, kind of their military bearing. There's a whole list of those things that I keep track of. I don't get that granular with my dialogue, with the vocabulary that they use, but I do think about um, syllables, like how big of a word is it? And I will control which characters can use pop culture references and which don't. And I think that when you're considering age, a lot of that will Mm -hmm. make a difference in terms of voice because you don't want a 50-year-old using teenage lingo if you're wanting the 50-year-old to sound cool. Unless you're writing a story like 40 years in the future. I turn turn 50 (laughs) in February. So stop using the cool lingo, Howard. (laughs) (laughs) Because that's been such a problem for me. All right, um, I'm going to end us with a writing prompt. And during this session of podcasts, Howard has drawn something. Uh, what, what did you call it, Howard? Okay, on the way over here, some syllables just marched around in my head, and I ended up with the idea, Tyrannopotamus Rex. <laughs> and so I, I, I didn't bring a sketchbook with me. I asked Emily for a paper and pen. She handed me one, and I scribbled... A Tyrannopotamus Rex. He says scribbled. It's gorgeous. Yeah. Um, and it was great because he literally showed up at the house, sat down, and said, I need a pen and a paper, <laughs> and just had to get this out of his head. And I've done that with stories before. So um, it's it was fascinating to watch. He's been doodle, uh, noodling on it during the whole thing. I guess he's been doodling on it, too. We're going to put a picture up for you um, uh, in the liner notes. And your job is to write a story about this. This has been Writing Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go write.
Writing Excuses is a Dragonsteel production, jointly hosted by Brandon Sanderson, Dan Wells, Mary Robinette Kowal, and Howard Taylor. This episode was mastered by Alex Jackson.